Last week, we very feebly spoke to you from the book of Jude. I'd like to go back and revisit uh, a little bit of that topic uh, that we tried to address last week. The reason for addressing such uh, things as this is that there is indeed a great rise of the acceptance of wickedness in our world today. Every one of us recognize, at least I hope every one of us should recognize, That Luke says in Luke 17 that we are unprofitable servants. I, I, I realize that the Lord is going to have to put far more in me than he'll ever get out of me. I realize that I'm worse than an old clunker of an automobile. That every time you turn around, it's broken down. you got to put more money into it this, that, and the other, it's an unprofitable piece of junk is what we would call it. There's a difference between recognizing the wickedness in us and celebrating the wickedness that is around us. The Bible calls us and instructs us to recognize sin first and foremost in our life and to deal with it accordingly. We don't always deal with it like we should, but by His grace, we do at times deal with it. And it is a constant struggle and will be a constant struggle until the day we die. This is why Paul said in Romans 7, you know, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? For he recognizes within himself, within him flesh, within his flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So, Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, he says, For to will to do is present with me. There is a desire to do that which is right. But how to accomplish that oftentimes escapes us. He says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. So that there's a constant thought even within ourselves as to why am I doing what is right? Am I doing what is right because it's right or am I doing what is right to be recognized by the world? We're constantly seeing people on TV uh, putting on a face as we would say it. They say one thing but they go out and they do something else. Our nation is in the midst right now of plotting, not just recognizing, but plotting and promoting great wickedness around us. I have enough problems dealing with wickedness in my life and trying to teach that uh, or teach against wickedness in the life of my children to now have them live in a world that is celebrating those things that the Bible stands against. 
No doubt it is a discouraging time. No doubt it is a depressing time to look out amongst us and, and see the failing of the world as it just goes headlong in the wrong direction. I mean, how many times does the world have to do the wrong thing and it fail before the world gets a clue that's the wrong thing to do? Uh, actually, I would, I would dare say that the attitude and characteristic of the world is pretty much lunacy. Uh, when, when the disciples in the book of Acts would go into various places, uh, the charge was given to them that those that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. I would not say that the disciples turned the world upside down. I would say that the world is already upside down. They've turned the world right side up. Uh, and any time that there is the exposure of sin in our life, it's going to cause problems. If you were to go to the doctor and the doctor would give you some dreadful diagnosis of what is ailing you, that, that knowledge of that diagnosis is going to bother you. It's going to create something in you. And you'll either live in denial for a while or you'll be angry that you've got it or you'll adjust your life and live accordingly. It's, it's one of those one of those things will happen. There may be more than that, but at least those things we these three things will happen. When it comes to God illuminating us and uh, giving us the knowledge of sin, one of those three things is going to happen in our life. Despite how dark it is getting in the world today, we as Christians can still have great hope. We as Christians, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I would venture to say that we as Christians may have greater hope when it is dark times in this world than it is when it seems like the church is surviving. Because Jesus reminds us that just before he comes back, exactly how dark it's going to get. Now when Jude spoke to us uh, one of the things that he spoke about was the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah suffering the vengeance of eternal God right now. That is a present, continual suffering at this point. All the wicked of the world are headed to that at this time. They're headed to a time when Christ comes back, destroys the wicked, and they spend all eternity Suffering for sin. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. The Lord gives us two examples to look at and to parallel those examples to his second coming. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, he refers to the days of Noah and to the days of Lot. So we'd like to read this account uh, beginning in, uh, excuse me, Luke 17. I'm looking at 16, but it's here on 17. It's Luke 17, verse 26. The Lord says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat 
They drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat. They drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The days of Noah and Lot are going to tell us a lot about the second coming of Christ. These texts here are often used to frighten or scare God's people. To tell them that when Christ comes back, if you're not on the right side, you're going to be left behind. Uh, because that phrase uh, is actually found here in verse, beginning with verse 33, it says, uh, or verse 34, he says, I tell you in that night, there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. So somebody's going to be taken somewhere. Somebody's going to be left behind. And it's the common thought of a lot of people that if you're left behind, you're in a bad situation. I think we'll go back and we'll study the days of Noah and the days of Lot. You'll find that's not necessarily the case before you. Everything that the Lord does is perfect, right? Everything that the Lord does is with purpose. Uh, and so we've oftentimes said that if you read the last chapter of John, he says that of uh, all the things uh, that Jesus did, everything, every miracle, every good work that he had done, if there could be books written about all the things that Jesus did, the world could not contain the whole of everything he did. So if there's an unlimited amount of books that could be written about what God did, then how much attention should we pay to the one book that God did write? And if there is an unlimited number of books that could be written about the things that God did, about the things that Christ taught, and about the things that Christ said, then the one book that was written probably contains the best information for us. And in this text, he compares the life of a man named Noah and the life of a man named Lot. Uh, so to begin with, we will turn back to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. No doubt this should be a familiar passage to most of us. But we shall read for context anyways. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only 
evil continually. Verse 13 says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. One of the children asked me a question the other day as to why do all the TV shows nowadays seem to be trash? It's simply because people are allowed to be that way. I would not say that in times past and in years past and in generations past they were more holy than we are. There's just as much wickedness back then as there is now. Uh, if you don't think so, try out Ancestry.com and see how many possible brothers and sisters or cousins you might have somewhere. Now, that may not apply to anybody in here, but I know a few people who tried that and a few people have found relatives they didn't know they had. Where does that come from? Uncontrolled wickedness. Plain and simple. There was a difference in times past and time now. But wickedness was not tolerated and promoted like it is. It might have been done behind closed doors. It might have been done in secret rooms. There might have been big groups who did things in private. But now those doors have been opened. Those windows have been opened. Those curtains have been pulled back. And all that is brought out to the front and center stage in American history right now. In other words, if I've got some dreadful disease and the doctor cuts me open and they find it, the doctor cutting me open did not cause the disease to exist. He just revealed what was already there. So, for example, we, I, I listened to a man on the radio. He has a, a, a program comes from Houston, Texas. And he gives a report constantly of the number of lifetime violent thug criminals who are now being released in Houston and Harris County on very, very low bonds for very extreme crimes. We're talking about murder. Somebody murders somebody and they're released on $20,000 bonds. And while they're on probation, they go out and they kill again. At this point, at this point, I don't think it's any longer his fault. I mean, he'll suffer for it. It's the fault of the prosecutors and the district attorneys who tolerate and allow this. But there's only one reason, though, that somebody would tolerate and allow something like this. And the reason is that they're not, they're not guided by God. They're guided by someone else. Someone a lot lower on the totem pole than God and a lot more wicked on the totem pole than God. They're guided by the devil himself is what this is. The Lord looked down in Genesis 6 and he saw that the earth was corrupt before him. They had corrupted his ways upon the earth and that the wickedness of man and every imagination of his thoughts and his heart was only evil continually. It's been said concerning the uh, Constitution of the United States that uh, the importance of that, the importance of the Constitution is only important to righteous people. 
the Constitution really is nothing in the hands of wicked men. They'll cut it in half and burn it to dust. But it is true about human beings that they will only be controlled by one of two things. They will either be controlled externally by the sword or they'll be controlled internally by God's Spirit. That's it. The problem is, is nowadays we're trying to deal with spiritual issues with physical uh, solutions, and it's really not working. There's a man that lived at this time, and his name was Noah. The Bible says in verse 9 that uh, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Well, I think that's a, that, that's a heavy statement to be made. That in his generation, Noah was a perfect or upright man. You say, was, does perfect mean sinless in this case? Uh, no, perfect very seldom means sinless in the Bible, especially when you're talking about human beings. Now, if you want to talk about God and you want to talk about perfect, you just make that absolutely as perfect and sinless as you possibly want to. I don't care how perfect you want to make that, go right ahead. But when it talks about human beings that are perfect, very seldom does it mean uh, without sin. It, it really means of maturity. For example, when the Lord talked about harvesting crops or corn in the New Testament and the sower brought forth seed, the sower went and sowed forth seed and it brought forth no fruit unto perfection. It means the plant didn't grow properly. It didn't come to maturity and usefulness. You get a lot of people in this world right nowadays, they're 30, 40, 50 years old and they're not mature adults. They're just big children. But Noah, before Mosaic Law as well. And that's, that's another thing that we'll, need, that we'll note about these two characters here in Genesis. Is this is for, before Mosaic Law. This is before a written declaration from God on high. Noah was still, a, in some ways, a just man. Noah walked with God. One of the greatest things, I guess we could say, about Noah was that when uh, the Lord decided that he would destroy man from off the face of the earth, it was said of Noah in verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's, that's going to be us at the end day. We're... we're that's where we want to be. We want to be in the position that we have found grace in God's eyes. Not that we found merit. Uh, not that we have uh, uh, found acceptance by what we have done. But that God has looked upon us in a gracious, sin-forgiving way and we found grace in His sight. Very well said then of... of this climate of the earth at this time, that it was, had corrupted their ways, and the earth was filled with violence. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like just right now? Social media has, has been a, uh, 
thorn in the flesh on one side and an eye opener on the other. Because you want to look at some people and say, wow, you, you thought that was a good idea to put that on the Internet? See, the good thing about most of us who are, you know, say above 40 or so, we did all our stupid stuff before the Internet was invented. So as far as I know, there's no record, except in heaven, of how dumb I was before I turned five. No, you know, before I was uh, at any rate. And you look at people and you say, wow, you realize you're being recorded right now. And yet they are still as violent and as angry and as hateful as they possibly can be. They are defiant and rebellious almost to no end. Well, <clears throat> the Lord wipes the planet here. Noah goes into the ark and in Genesis chapter 7 we are told here that after Noah had done all uh, that the Lord had commanded him, it says in verse 7 that Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Uh, I guess we could say that uh, <clears throat> Noah was about 120 years in building the ark. I'm sure that Noah experienced a lot of ridicule. Uh, seems to me that that would have been the time to buy a lot of wood on credit, now that I think about this. Uh, I think Noah could have got that boat built or that uh, casket built for a lot cheaper. He goes into the ark. And I'd like to notice also that God said in, in Genesis 7 and verse 1 that when he spoke to Noah, he says the word, Come thou, and all thy house into the ark. He doesn't tell him to go into the ark. He says, Come where I am into the ark. Now, <clears throat> In, in case you're wondering, this was was an act of faith in Hebrews 11. I'd like for you to notice this. In, in, in Hebrews 11, Noah's faith is recognized here. So when you read when you read a commentary about this, you have to be very careful about the people who comment on Noah's day. Uh, because the end result of reading Genesis 7 when it says, Come thou into the ark, they want to say, yes, this applies to all of us. If you want to be saved at the end time, we'll be saved by grace. The only thing that you have to do is walk through the door. I find that interesting. Because the Bible didn't say by, by faith Noah entered into the ark. Hebrews 11 Verse 7 says that by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Did you notice it wasn't Noah's faith that he used to walk through the door. It was Noah's faith he used to build the ark. He already had faith. Noah's faith of going through the door doesn't even apply here. Secondly, 
This is not about Noah as much building an ark as it is about God delivering a people. This side of the coin, this side of Luke 17, when it talks about Noah built the ark to the saving of his house. You see that? Noah built this ark to the saving of his house. When, when God told Noah to build this ark, he said, build it for you, for your wife, for your three sons, and their three wives. The people that the ark was to save were named and numbered before Noah built it. This is not about us. This is an illustration of what God Almighty has done through the death of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ went to the cross to the saving of His house, He saved the people who were named and numbered before He ever got there. They were people named and numbered before the foundation of the world. And when Jesus Christ came into this world, He went to the cross and took us with Him. You remember the old spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? In presence, we were not there. I wasn't even born. But in the mind of God and in the purpose of Christ, we were there. Our sins were placed into Christ and He took our sins in His body and nailed it to the tree of the cross. And what He did on the cross saved His house completely. It says, by the which He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. In the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. We will see the earth filled with violence and we will see that they have corrupted their ways. Second portion of that was the days of Lot. Go back and reread this here. Because it did draw a parallel that they did eat and they drank and married wives and they were given in marriage, not only until the days of Noah, but also in the days of Lot. They just continued on day after day. The wicked have a way of just sort of ignoring what's going on in life. When we get to the days of Lot, now we're going to talk a little bit more about how this affects us personally. If you're in the New Testament, turn to the book of Second Peter, chapter 2. As we said last week, there's a great parallel between uh, the little book of Jude and 2 Peter, especially 2 Peter chapter 2. A lot of the same things are addressed and same things brought forth and over. Um, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, uh, 
is that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that should that after should live ungodly. Here we go, verse 7. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Uh, let's pause right there just for a moment. When he says he delivered just Lot, the term just here does not mean only Lot. If Lot was the only person that came out of Sodom, we could we could draw that. We could say, well, yeah, he was the only person that came out, but that's not true. Lot came out, Lot's wife came out, and Lot's two daughters also came out. There's four people that came out. Now, Lot's wife turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. I'll not go into that at this time. But there were at least four people. Three of them escaped to the mountain, correct? So then just Lot doesn't mean only Lot. It means justified, righteous Lot. That in and of itself is enough to make you scratch your head. That right there in and of itself is enough to make you sit and contemplate this till Christ comes back. Just Lot, righteous Lot, was down living in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does it say concerning him? That every day he lived down there, he vexed uh, his soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And the word conversation here, again, does not mean words of mouth. It means daily life. Are you yourself not vexed with what you see going on in the world around you? Sometimes it's just driving down the street. Sometimes it's your neighbor's. Sometimes it's right in your own home. Verse 8 says, for that righteous man. Ah, there we go. There's a parenthetical expression. That explains what just lot means. See, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. That righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Okay, so now we have a society that's not just corrupted their ways. It's not just filled with violence. It is a society uh, based on unlawful deeds. And by the way, unlawful against the law. Uh, <clears throat> I reminded you earlier, or I spoke to you earlier, this is before Mosaic Law. This is before Mosaic Law. There seems to be some, some set of rules, some set of parameters, some set of guidelines that God has not got just for the church, but for the human race as a whole. It's in Genesis, after Noah comes off the ark, that God starts laying a few lessons down on him. And one of the things that he tells Noah there in Genesis, uh, I believe it's chapter 9, after he comes off the ark, he says, Whosoever sheddeth men's blood, by men's hands shall his blood also be shed. 
In other words, God was in favor of capital punishment long before he gave that law to Moses. Because if man truly is created in the image of God, then probably one of the greatest sins you can commit against another human being or against God himself is to kill a human being created in God's image. Because if you're going to create a human being that's just created in the image of God, what more would you want to do to God if you could get a hope to him? Abortion is a travesty because it's an affront to God himself. And then when you go back and you begin looking at the deeds of those in Sodom. Don't turn to Genesis. You have to turn to uh, Ezekiel 16 for this. Ezekiel 16. The Lord is chastising the nation of Israel. I'd like for you to notice who he compares the nation of Israel to at this time. This is Ezekiel chapter 16. He says in uh, verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. What? What's the first thing he charges against the city of Sodom? Pride. Don't, Don't we have a month here in this calendar where we're going to celebrate pride? We're going to celebrate pride. Be proud of who you are. You know, like they did in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 12 where it says that they declare their sins as Sodom. They hide it not. Here they march down the streets carrying their banners, waving their flags, screaming through their megaphones. This, this, this is what they did in Lot's day. See, y'all thought I was talking about what we're doing now, right? The wicked never change. The wicked never change. It's the same thing with a new set of clothes. That's all it is. This was the iniquity of thy sister, Sodom, pride. Don't tell me what to do. I'm my own person. And it's interesting as we note um, the evolution of the acceptance of sodomy was that in the 80s when when this was coming about and uh, AIDS was becoming a, a new disease that we did not understand at all. People would stand and say, I'm gay, just leave me alone. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do. You just stay over there and I'll stay over here and just leave me alone. Is that where we are today? Are we still in that same mindset? Just live and let live? No, we are not. We are now in the mindset of people fussing and crying and complaining that they cannot teach kindergartners about sex education. 
See, it's, it's no longer just accept me for who I am. It's promote me for who I am and honor me. A lot of people don't care about that, though, because the very next statement is fullness of bread. As long as we got food in the refrigerator, the troubles and problems of the world really don't matter to a lot of people. Fullness of bread. Here we go. Abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Abundance of idleness. So you used to have a three-day weekend, right? You had Memorial Day or you had Labor Day on Monday, right? What's that turned into now? About a three-and-a-half-day weekend. Because... We're going out of town. So we want to leave Friday at noon and get started on our vacation three and a half days now. And don't I, don't I constantly hear some chatter uh, in the news once in a while about, you know, contemplating going to four-day work weeks in, in America? For who? Hospitals can't work four days a week. Police can't work four days a week. Restaurants can't work four days a week. You know, can Walmart be open four days a week? Well, let's try that. Let's see. Let's try that and see what happens. Boy, I tell you what. But what is it? An abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. That's 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 kind of the whole that's the whole plot and push behind the lottery system. Come up here and give me two dollars, and I and maybe you can scratch off the right number, and, and you turn that two dollars into two million dollars. Here's the kicker: you're gonna be just as poor in three years as you are now, if not poorer, because of all the dumb decisions you're going to make when you get this constant or this sudden influx of money you never had before. Abundance. Of idleness. And I am confident that the abundance of idleness is not the cause of a lot of wickedness in this world, but it sure does help it. People who sit around and don't have anything else to do sure find ways to get in trouble. And, and the New Testament talks about this too. It talks about uh, a church having widows. There's a widow who's a widow indeed. She's, she's very old and she cannot take care of herself and she cannot remarry. She's a widow indeed. But the Bible talks about the younger widows. Something is something tragic, something dreadful has happened to her husband. She's, she's old enough to be married. She could marry again. But the Bible talks about those who they don't. They just spend their time going about from house to house, gossiping and being silly. They don't have anything to do. That's, I think that's, that, is one of, that is one of my regrets living in the city. Because I realized many years ago, there's not a lot for us to do at the house. If we lived in the country and we lived on a farm, there's always something to do. There's always a hog to slop. There's always a cow to milk. There's always a bull to butcher. There's always a corn to pick. There's always something to do in the country. 
There ain't a whole lot to do in the city, so what do we do? We sit around and we try and find things to occupy ourselves, and most of those things get us in trouble. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Um, politicians in America can talk about how much they want to uh, help the poor, how much they want to do this, that, and the other, and how much we need to be angry at the 1% who have all the money. The reality is, is that they don't love the poor. They just hate the rich. And the people in America down here on our level who are poor, who hate the rich, will stop hating the rich once they become the rich. That's the way that works. Verse 50, and they were haughty. Haughtiness is pride with contentment, in other words. That's somebody, you've always, you say, well, that restaurant, the, the server had their nose in the air. They didn't want to look, you know, they looked down on us and stuff like that. There, there's pride of somebody thinking they're, they're better than a, a, there's pride in thinking I'm a great person. I'm the most wonderful person that there ever is. Pride with contentment is I'm the most wonderful person in the world and you need to acknowledge that, you filthy piece of trash. And then it says they committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. And you say, well, there's nothing in there mentioned about fornication and strange flesh. Yes, but that's what's mentioned in Jude 7. He says, I took them away and Jude 7 tells us what they were doing when he took them away. Uh, 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 excuse me. Attention, please. What does Scripture say? They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away. Did you catch that? So he took somebody away and somebody else was left behind. Genesis. Uh, this is Genesis 19, I think. Genesis 19, two angels came to Sodom at the evening time. And Lot saw them and Lot recognized them. He says, come into thy servant's house and and, and wash your feet and, and tarry here. Now they said, no, nah, we'll just abide in the street all night. That's, that's what we'll do. He's like, not in this city you won't. Uh, dear, dear friend of mine uh, from Macon, Georgia, the middle Georgia area, uh, has moved over here and they, they live down almost at the end of 459 here and they go to Vestavia because the church is closer. And he was telling us that his wife had sold a... Uh, Stove, dish dishwasher, I think either stove or dishwasher. Uh, sold it on Facebook, and the guy gave her an address, and so he rode with his wife to drop this off. And see, he ain't from around here. And he comes up through Birmingham, and he gets off on Caraway Boulevard, and goes down on the backside of this destroyed, dilapidated. He says, "What in the world is that?" I said, "Well, it used to be a hospital about ten years ago." He said, I had no idea where we were going, brother. Until you've been here a while, you need to ask some folk. You don't need to be there. So I'm glad he went with her, but that's what Lot's doing. Lot, you ain't from around here, are you? You, you, wanna, you just going to stay in the streets? 
No, you won't come in my house. And then what happens, though, as they are there, surely you know the story, the, the men of the city, they come and they knock on Lot's door and, and they, want, they want the angels to come out or whoever these strangers are so that they may know them, the term that's used here. So that they, as men with men, Romans 1, working that which is unseemly. Lot says, no, let's, let's not bother these, these people. Here, I've got two daughters that have never known men, which is a puzzle to me because his daughters were married. I've, I've never figured that puzzle out. The Bible does say he went to his sons-in-laws and told them in this chapter, you know, get up, the city is going to be destroyed. And they seemed as one that mocked. This is verse 14. Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters. Baffling to me how wicked this city is and how afraid this city is. Verse 15 says, And when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. So the angels did warn him, get up and get out. So the preacher's warning people are half right. Hey, there's a time coming of great retribution on this world. Get up and get out. What does it say in verse 16 that Lot did? And while he, what's that next word? No, my text says he got up and ran out with haste, right? No, that's not what it says, does it? The Bible says that Lot himself lingered in the city. That the pull of this world had gotten its hooks and claws in him so bad that when God said, I'm going to destroy this world, he sat down, put his hands on his face and said, oh my, what will happen? I don't want to die right now. How earthly do we have to be? When God says, I'm going to destroy the wicked world around us, how corrupt as a human being, how depraved do we have to be to say, oh, Lord, no, not my flower garden. Lord, no, not my apple tree. Lord, I built this house. Lord, I built this car. Right? Everything I got is going up one day. Except my stocks. It's going to be going down. But everything I got in this world is going up in smoke. This entire world is going to be folded up as a vesture one day and used no more. Thankfully, the Bible goes on that it does not leave this in Lot's hands. And that's the story of Lot, that God has never left salvation in your hands. People look at us and they, they get angry about election. And they, they, they get, they're puzzled about predestination. And I say that God, before the foundation of the world, picked out a people from Adam's race, chose them in Christ, sent Christ to die for them. The Holy Ghost will regenerate them and born them again. And one day they will be housed in heaven and made like the Son of God. And they say, well, that's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? 
what right does God have to choose anybody? Wow! The pride and contempt, the haughtiness of human beings. The haughtiness of human beings. You mean there's somebody over here who might want to be saved? They're trying to get saved, but they're not going to be because God don't want them? The very idea, the very fact that somebody wants to go to heaven is evidence they're already a child of God. People don't care about God unless they are God's people. I mean, if I stood up here this afternoon and said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give uh, a dissertation on the Duke's family. I get done today. We're going to tell you about the Duke's family tree where we came. Y'all staying for that? Or y'all going, what? You don't care where my family came from. You know what? I have a feeling if the Rhodes family got up here, I wouldn't care. I'd probably go out and whittle wood myself. Uh, the reality is, is that usually only people who belong to the family care where the family came from. And only the people that belong to God's family care where God came from. See, this story is not about Lot and himself doing what's right. This story is about God doing what's right for Lot. Because it says, And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And he brought them forth and set them without the city. And so the story goes on both in Noah's day and in Lot's day that something happened. A great destruction occurred. Now I read to you in Ezekiel where it specifically said that God rained down fire from heaven and took them away. So who's left behind in Lot's day? Huh? Lot was left behind, right? Lot goes out of the city. Fire comes down. They're gone. Who's left behind? Lot's left behind. All right. In Noah's day, what happened in Noah's day? Noah's down here in the ark. Floods come. And everybody is gone. Who's left behind? Noah was. I'm not concerned about being left behind. Not at all. What I'm concerned with is that God has done something for us. And see, if you think about this, Lot's down here on the ground, and the people are taken away. In Noah's day, the people are left on the ground, and, and Noah is floating away. Did I say that right? Yes. Lot's down here on the ground. They're taken away. Noah gets in the boat. Box really is what it was. It really wasn't a boat. It was more like a box. More like a floating coffin is what it was. And he floats away and all the people are left. 
So is it really about who's left behind and who gets taken away? It is not. You know what it's really about? It's about separation. It's about separation at the last day. That when God comes back, He will completely and forever separate the wheat from the chaff. He will completely and forever separate His people, His sheep, from the goats of this world. I, I don't... Uh, I don't want to see the world around me plunging further and further into wickedness because it really just makes it hard on everybody. And a lot of times that's strictly from, that's from a uh, human standpoint. I don't want to see our economy collapse. I like being idle once in a while. But on the other hand, when the days get darker and darker and darker and sin seems to rise higher and higher and higher, the Lord reminds us that it will get darker before I get back. We are closer than we've ever been to the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are closer now than we've ever been to living with Him for all eternity. In a time where all this garbage down here in this world isn't going to matter anymore. All the troubles and all the trials of this life, they will vanish away. And we will have nothing but absolute peace and harmony, worshiping, face of Christ for all eternity. This world can walk hand in hand if they want to. It is our struggle to hold it back. It is our struggle to push it down. It is our struggle in this life to push it away. But thanks be to God who will bestow mercy and grace upon an undeserving people and bring us to glory one day with Him. Thank you all for your good and patient attention this morning.